You guys are killing me. Uh, <laughs> I just I can't not say all right, so now. <laughs> um, this morning's message, we're back in Genesis. Uh, we're going to do hopefully all of chapter 41, which is quite a long chapter. But as you see, uh, I think we might be able to get through it. Uh, the title is An Answer of Peace. An Answer of Peace. And I don't know that I've seen this chapter of Genesis in this light before. I've obviously read it before today. I've read it at least a couple of times uh, since I've known the Lord. But I don't know that I ever saw it uh, this way before with this sort of um, direction. But Joseph had two dreams, if we remember. He had the dreams of the sheaves of wheat and then the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. We remember that his brothers hated him. He had this coat of many colors. They ripped up his coat. They sold him to traders. They told his dad that he had been eaten by wild animals. Remember that he was a, uh, a servant or a slave in Potiphar's house. He was wrongly accused and went to prison. We saw the, the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh go to, go to jail. And they had these dreams. And Joseph interpreted both their dreams. And they both came true. One died and one got his job back. Uh, but we saw that through all this, God had given Joseph favor in his dad's house, in Potiphar's house, and even uh, in prison. But with all of this, Joseph was forgotten. He was forgotten. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly felt forgotten before in my life. I forget things myself all the time, but man, there's been times in my life when people that I would hope wouldn't forget me either purposely forgot me or accidentally forgot me. And certainly I've done that to others. Uh, we were talking before about setting up reminders. How often are, am I driving? I think, oh, I need to text this person or call this person, but it's not you know, a good time to talk while I'm driving. I'm like, oh, I'll do it later. And then totally skips my mind later. And then I remember, and it's nine o'clock here, which isn't too late, but it's 11 o'clock there. It's way too late. Or if I want to remember to call my dad, it's five o'clock here and it's seven o'clock in the East Coast and it's too late for him. <laughs> so he gets up at like four in the morning. But man, people pass us over and leave us by the wayside. And I hope that as we follow the Lord more, we remember people more and we don't leave them by the wayside as much. But sometimes there's nothing worse than that feeling of being passed over or left behind. And this is kind of a, an odd one, but what's the hungriest you've ever been? I remember, uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I don't do it much of it recently, but I remember first getting saved and fasting and we were at this youth thing and they got pizza and I wasn't planning on stopping fasting that day, but I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's been a while. And I was so, like, the, I, was, I hadn't been hungry for like a day or two because the first day it kind of goes away and then it came back. And then they brought in this pizza. I was like, okay, it's going to end now. <laughs> I'm going to have this pizza. I was clearly very hungry. But I don't know that we've ever experienced a famine like we're about to see today. But I wonder, have you and I ever been out of work? I've been out of work before. I've, I haven't been able to pay rent at times, and thankfully the people are gracious with me. Wondering where my next real meal would come from. I, you know, I haven't been homeless. I haven't been so hungry. But there's been times when I wasn't sure, and God always provided. And I'm thankful that it didn't get any worse than that. Um, and even then, to say that, I go, I really haven't felt it the way some people have certainly felt it, even in America. But Lord, this morning as we get into your word, we pray that uh, we wouldn't experience a famine, but that we'd have a feast in what you would speak to each one of us about. That God, we're not here to hear me talk or 
to just check a box off. We want to really meet with you this morning. And uh, God, we pray that you would do that in your word. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the first seven verses of uh, Genesis 41 together. And it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And if you've been around the Bible or children's ministry or probably just in America, you've probably heard the story before. But verse 3 says, Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, and so Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on a stalk, on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. So we see that it's been two full years from the last chapter. Sometimes you say it was two years ago, it was really a year and a half. Sometimes you say, oh, it was a year ago, and you forget, no, really, it was four years ago. What year is it now? You know, it's crazy how much time has passed, especially as you get older, but it was two full years. Joseph was in jail. He'd asked this guy to remember him. A day passed. A week passed. A month passed. Oh, he's got to be getting around to it soon. Two months, three months, six months, a year. Okay, well, maybe his year. It's Pharaoh's birthday again. Maybe it'll spark this guy's memory. Nope. It goes on and gone. Two full years later. So it's around Pharaoh's birthday again, if I'm interpreting this correctly. But it says that Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream, and apparently I was dreaming last night and making noise so loud that Ash could hear it from the other, <laughs> other room, that, but I don't remember. I mean, there's times I've woken up and had outbursts, but I don't remember last night. I remember having weird dreams, though. But this first dream that he had, we, we can picture Pharaoh, and he goes down by the river. And this river, if it's Egypt, is the Nile. And they say denial is the longest river in the world, right? It's an old bad joke. I had to say it. But to the Egyptians, the Nile is their source of life. They're in basically what would be a desert or a wilderness if it wasn't for the Nile. The Nile River Delta is very fertile and plants and crops grow from it. They get, you know, it's flowing. It doesn't dry up. We have creeks that dry up around here. And this creek is not a creek. It's a river. But he's down by this river. And we think of, you know, Moses later and Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe by the river. You know, Pharaoh's house is probably waterfront property. He could probably walk out on his back deck, so to speak, and see the Nile and enjoy the beauty of it. And in his dream, he goes down there. And as he's down there, these seven fat cows come out of the river. And we have cows around here. And everywhere you look, you say, hi, cow. You know, think about the good beef that we can eat. That in Egypt, these cows... They were full. They were, they were ready. They were Wagyu beef coming up out of the river, ready to eat, ready. Wow. Wow. Let's get some of those. And you can picture, have you seen the nature shows of Africa or other places where the herds come up out of the water, all the herds come down to the water to get life too. But they come up out of it. And he's looking at them. And as they begin to eat on the lush grass next to the Nile, seven ugly and thin and grotesque looking cows come out of the river and eat them. 
eat them. And you know, as a kid, you, uh, I guess when I picture eating another cow, it's just their mouth gets really big and then the cow goes in and the mouth gets really small and they eat them. But as I'm thinking about this, it woke Pharaoh up. It was probably a bit of a nightmarish tone. Now, did they eat them? Was it like they came up out of the, the water? And you know, if you've seen zombie movies, was it like zombies and they come out and they begin to grotesquely devour these other cows? I don't think it was a pleasant sight to look at. And Pharaoh wakes up and goes, oh, it was a dream. And lays back down in his nice Pharaoh sheet, you know, picture the, the palm branches and, you know, open marble or stone, whatever it was. But he goes back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. Before we get to the next dream, I, I, I begin to think and I wonder what sort of dreams do the world rulers of today have? You know, we don't have scripture from thousands of years ago is telling us, but we do see uh, other script, other dreams and other visions of other kings of world powers throughout Scripture. And obviously they didn't have the Bible to, for them available, so God works in different ways sometimes. But I wonder if the President of the United States wakes up in a cold sweat from some dream, or Vladimir Putin wakes up, or Z from China, or uh, what's his name <laughs> from North Korea, that they wake up and... They're bothered by some dream, especially those who don't know the Lord, especially those who are given to uh, pagan culture, worldliness. I wonder, did they call for the astrologers? You hear about, I think it was Reagan's wife had a, you know, she was big into psychics and astrology, and I bet you they were in the White House. They call for astrologers or psychologists or doctors or gurus or spiritual advisors and scientists. Say, I had this dream, and then they get their intel brief, and maybe they're worried about going to war, and maybe that shapes some policy that we just don't know about. Because Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And not to get into it too deep, but that there is spiritual power in the world. And you can almost feel it sometimes when you go to a different state or a different region or a different country. But as these people are in power, there's a spiritual element to it. And I guarantee that there's spiritual forces at play in a lot of these things that go on in global politics. I mean, just look at the last American election and you can tell it's spiritual. You can tell, I'm not saying Donald Trump is God's gift to America, but if you look at the reactions, you look at the, the way the country has gone since then and the division, you tell me that's not spiritual, I'd say you probably want to look again. But anyway, Pharaoh goes back to sleep and he has a second dream. And in this one, he has seven heads of grain on one stalk. And we remember that the cupbearer had a dream about the grapes and the one vine. So he has seven heads of grain on one stalk and they were um, plump and good, right? And they grew up and, you know, I'm, wow, this is good. I'm, you know, we're going to have a good year this year. We're going to have good food. And even Pharaoh doesn't even realize what he's seeing. He just sees it. But then these seven heads were blighted by the east wind. And remember, we're in Egypt. If you think on that map or on that globe, the east wind, Saudi Arabia, the desert, uh, the Indian Ocean, this wind comes in and brings in this hot, dry air. And the wheat melts away. It withers away. But God was showing that there was a famine coming, and yet Pharaoh didn't quite get it. 
You know, famines are weather patterns and different things that change that we have no control over and they affect crops and land. Remember, I think it was in the was in the 30s, the 20s and 30s, where the Dust Bowl in uh, the Great Plains and south, like Oklahoma and Texas, where everything just turned to dust and dried up and people had to leave and go elsewhere. I think that's probably the closest thing we could think to famine in our day and age. But this dream was so vivid that Pharaoh, I don't think he realized it was a dream until he woke up and looked around for a minute. And I don't know if you and I, I would think, have experienced a dream like that where you're dreaming and it's so real and you're like, whoa, I'm flying. and oh, It's so good. And we were watching a medical show the other night and the, the doctor was on medicine and they couldn't tell if he was, what was real and what wasn't real. I don't know if you've experienced that either, but Farrell wakes up and he's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not dreaming. That this was intense. These were vivid for him. And I believe that even if dreams aren't from the divine or divinely inspired, they are powerful. You know, our interpretation of reality really is based on the inputs and outputs of our brain. If you remember, you know, the matrix, they plug the people into the matrix and, you know, just because they were seeing it or tasting it or experience it didn't mean it was real. And there's a, a, a deeper philosophical thing there. But if you consider that we're made in the image of God, we're not just a brain, right? If we we're just a brain and the electrical impulses of it, I don't think dreams would be so powerful to us. I don't think they would be so believable to us because I believe, based on what the Bible says, we are a spirit that inhabits this organic machine. That we are a spirit that somehow is interfaced into a brain and into an emotional seat and then it's got a body wrapped around it. And what our spirit interprets as reality is only what comes in through our flesh and through our thoughts and our heart. And so that's why when we have dreams, it's really this whole reality thing where we're plugged into it and, and it's very believable. And I think it's interesting that God sometimes chooses to directly interface with that method. We know that the enemy can cast thoughts into our brain that, like a fiery dark and we can get a thought that sticks in there, begin to flame and burn out and put us into depression or go put us down this path of temptation. But the Lord can interject things there as well too. And verse 8 says, Now it came to pass in the morning that Pharaoh's spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and its wise men, and Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my falsest day, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to interpretation of his own dream. Now there, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. I think it's interesting that they don't say he was a fellow prisoner, they say he was a servant of the captain of the guard. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me to my office and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And there you see where the title of the message comes from. But Pharaoh woke up and his spirit was troubled. He was uh, deeply disturbed 
And again, I don't know if you've had a dream like that, or maybe you're just going through something in life. You wake up and you're just deeply disturbed. I, could, I couldn't nap yesterday because I was deeply disturbed. Um, and it wasn't by my kids jumping around. It was just dealing with other things going on in life. And I can't make sense of them. My friends can't make sense of them. Only the Lord can. But Pharaoh woke up and, and, and he turns to these people and he looks for help, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And as his cupbearer is there with him with Pharaoh's orange juice in the morning or whatever Pharaoh drinks in the morning, and Pharaoh's looking for answers, the cupbearer remembers. Oh, man. I remember my false this day, Pharaoh. You know, not only did I, was I potentially in jail because of involved in something, and, but I also remember that I forgot about this guy, Joseph. That while I was in prison, me and the other guy had dreams, and Joseph was able to tell us what they were about, and they both came true. They both came true. That this wasn't luck, Pharaoh. This wasn't 50-50. He was right with me and wrong the other guy. But it was totally accurate with our dreams. We didn't understand them either. But this guy, Joseph, he's got a power that's not of this world. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Have you ever seen those movie meetings? Like, I think it was a... I don't know if it was Hunt for Red October. It was one of those Tom Clancy movies from back in the day. And they have to, like, summon the guy to a quick meeting with the president and the cabinet because something's going on. And I just picture that. You know, Joseph's hanging out, and all of a sudden these guards come in and whip him out. Just like, what's going on? And like, we're taking you to Pharaoh. And they wash him up quick. They shave him head to toe, so to speak. And they put on this Egyptian clothes because he's going before the king. He's going before their Pharaoh. And so they're not going to take him in raggedy looking. They're going to take him in looking the right way. You can't, it's almost in a sense like we can't step before God in our sin. We have to be washed and cleansed to go before him in the same way Joseph had to go before Pharaoh in a certain way. But as Pharaoh says, you know, I've heard, Joseph, that you've got this ability to tell these dreams and these, this spiritual insight. And Joseph says, it has nothing to do with me. But God is going to give you an answer of peace. That God, Pharaoh, is the one that's going to reach you. God is the one that's going to answer your questions. God is the one that's going to give you peace that none of us can, get, none of us can give you. And I love how Joseph doesn't rebuke Pharaoh. He's like, Pharaoh, you know what? You're a pagan. <laughs> you don't believe in God. You worship all these other gods. It's a good thing you have these dreams and God's going to bring judgment on you. No, he says God is going to give you an answer of peace. Because God's going to answer you, Pharaoh. If you just seek him, if you really want the answer to this, seek God and he will answer you. I think that's a huge contrast to the Pharaoh that we see 400 years later with Moses, who keeps changing his mind, who keeps saying, oh, who is this God? You know, Moses is so concerned about what he's going to say to him. But we see in this chapter, in a sense, in this whole story, that God wants Pharaoh and Egypt and the world to turn to him. That these dreams are bigger than just Pharaoh's brain. They're bigger than just the nation of Egypt. They are going to affect all of history. And oftentimes we think that God only wants to reach the Israelites in the Old Testament. Or that God only cares about Christians today in the new. He doesn't care about other nations and people of pagan religions. But quite the contrary, God was trying to reach all the nations. Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's there. God goes down himself to make sure before he destroys it. 
Babel, Egypt, Babylon, Nineveh. He sends Jonah. Jonah doesn't want to go, as we remember, because he knows that God is going to gonna repent, relent from uh, destroying them if they repent. Assyria, Daniel, the list goes on. And I'm sure God does today. And much like Jonah, I think we think that God is not going to reach these people because they're so far gone. But we know he will. And perhaps we even think that God is done with a nation or a ruler or a leader. But the scripture in 1 Timothy 2 commands us that we should, uh, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all those who are in authority. God, thank you for this dictator. Would you change his heart? I don't know if we ever pray that. That we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That yes, God even desired Hitler to be saved. He d- I don't think he did. Come to the Lord. So it doesn't mean that God didn't desire it. Now, was part of God's trying to get Hitler's attention in a sense, World War II and coming in? Yes, it was also to rescue the Jews and free the world from this tyranny that was spreading and hate and evil. But I believe in some sense, I'm sure Hitler was in his bunker and God gave him an opportunity to repent. But I have to wonder, if we're talking about spirituality and all these things, that maybe Hitler was possessed, but we won't go down that road. Let's go on to verse 17. So, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. And Joseph doesn't say what river. They know what river they're talking about. Suddenly, seven cows come up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. And so I awoke. And also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So Pharaoh recounts his dreams here, and he says, such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. When he talks about the ugly cows, he's like, there's ugly cows out there. <laughs> Some of these cows from other nations are thin, they got the shoulders, and just they're bony, and you go, man, these cows are ugly. But Pharaoh says that there was something different about these cows, that they were the ugliest that he could ever imagine. They were uglier than he's ever seen his entire life. There was just something different about it. And I believe that Pharaoh's perception of the dream is also a key part of how God was displaying it to him. That his perception, in some sense, was showing about how it was important and how it would be interpreted. You know, it's one thing to say that ugly cows came up and ate the good cows, but Pharaoh's like, man, there was something way different about this. That there was something that was nagging him about this dream that he just couldn't make sense of. And I have to say... I'm not that old, but there is such an ugliness in America that I've never seen before. Such an ugliness in our society that as I consider even the dictators of time past and how evil it was, there's something far more sinister, far uglier 
about the evil that has taken over our nation and our, indeed our, many nations in our world this day. That we're in a spiritual famine right now. But I believe this famine that we're in is a manufactured famine. We've wanted this famine of the Word of God to come. We've desired it. We've welcomed it. We've forced out the good news and ushered in this east wind. You even look at the things that people and even Christians might associate themselves with today with other religions and eastern mythology. You know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, none of that stuff was in America and now it's part of gym class in schools. And we wonder why such awful atrocities happen. Why these ugly cows are eating up the good cows, so to speak. As we see the good of the past 250 years evaporate in just a decade or two. And remember, democracies only last around 200 years. And I've probably said it many times, and you've probably heard it many times, but Billy Graham once said something to the effect of, if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. But eating the good cows didn't make the uglier cows any less ugly. The ugly cows didn't come up out, feast on the good cows, and the ugly cows became fit and fat and better looking. Said that they didn't change. They were still just as ugly, still just as thin, still just as weird. And when evil gets its way, when evil wins, and devours the good, the evil doesn't get any less evil. The evil all of a sudden doesn't change and say, I'm not going to be evil anymore. The evil is just as evil as it was before. And I think about all the compromise we've done as a nation and as the church. Evil comes along and here we are good and we say, well, we'll compromise with evil and that'll change things. And it does change things. But all it does is more of the good gets devoured. The evil doesn't go away, so we compromise some more. And it gets devoured. We give away a little bit more of our rights, a little more of our privacy, a little more of our sovereignty, a little more of our righteousness as a church, as a believer. And we don't get any better looking. We get devoured, and the evil keeps marching on. And so Pharaoh says, I told this to all the magicians. I've got a whole bunch of them. I've got the best in the land. I'm Pharaoh. These aren't you two bit magicians. These are the Harvard instructed magicians. But none of them could make any sense of it. None of them could explain it to me. For Pharaoh, these are the, his first instinct is to turn to these people. These are the people he's been instructed his entire life, his entire kingly life to turn to. And they don't have an answer for him. They've had answers in the past because when he looked to them, they've answered him before, but this one they could not answer. They could probably make psychological heads or tails over his other dreams. They could say, Pharaoh, you've got issues with your mom. <laughs> this is why you're dreaming this. But this one they had no insight to. That all of their learning, all of their sorcery, all of their even perhaps demonic practices could not give them insight into this dream because this dream was from God. And the wicked can never interpret the righteous. We see a lot of wicked people pretending to be righteous, pretending to give an interpretation of the Bible or what the Bible says or what God means by this, but 
It never quite makes sense because it's only interpreted by the Spirit of God. And when we were woken up, when we're disturbed in our spirit, we obviously know as believers we shouldn't turn to magicians, but do we? Where do we turn first? Is it the Lord or is it Freud? Is it the Lord or is it Dr. Phil? Is it the Lord or is it, I don't know. Because again, only God can accurately and rightly all of the time interpret these deep things of our soul. Verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. That's a big thing, that God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years, and the dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will rise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will be not known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land in Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, for that the land may not perish during the famine." We see that the dreams of Pharaoh are one, that he had two dreams, but it's about the same thing. Um, again, it's just the same dream, the same spirit of the dream, but displayed in two ways. We see the cattle affected and the crops affected, that this famine coming was going to affect everything. Um, last year, apparently, was a bad year for poultry. Uh, you know, This year, with the flooding in the Midwest, has been a bad year for corn and other crops. As fields have just been flooded. They've been able to plant. But this for Egypt was going to affect all their livelihood. Their cattle would be wiped out, their wheat would be wiped out, and what do you have left? You know, it's this is it. This is what you live off of. And I always think, man, you know, there's one thing going to a supermarket in New York right before a storm and there'd be nothing nothing left. All the milk and bread would be gone. Uh, but here it seems to happen a little more commonly than when you go to Walmart and there's not much produce, there's not much food as well. It's because I-90 was closed down or another road was closed down and the trucks I haven't been able to get through. And it's just a normal way to be, let alone imagine if things shut down. You know, even the farmers are complaining now about the tariffs on China because it's affected them. And I, I get that in one sense, but there, and it's like, why are we so dependent on another nation? If a famine hits another nation economically, why is that going to affect us? Why are we so deeply entwined with other nations? Um, and not that we shouldn't have relations with other nations, but why is it? I think we've got the wrong bedfellows, so to speak. But God has shown Pharaoh what is he about what he is about to do. Joseph says to him, "That's huge." You know, Jesus says to his disciples, "He says the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but he knows what his friend's doing." That God is trying to reach Pharaoh. That God is saying, "Pharaoh, you don't have a relation with me." 
But I'm telling you something that's going to happen. Something very big. This is something that, you know, only God in his cabinet would speak about, so to speak. But he's letting Pharaoh in on this big spiritual thing that's going to play out physically here. And it's kind of a hard area because it says that God was doing this. Can we accept that? Scripture doesn't say anything different. A lot of times we say, uh, you know, there are people who go out and say, oh, hurricane so-and-so was God bringing judgment on America. I can't say he was and he wasn't. Yeah, I know that in the New Testament that certainly Satan would stir up a storm and God would still them, right, on the, on the, the sea. So God has the power to calm a storm. And obviously we see that Satan attacked Job and his family with storms. But Joseph doesn't say that here. Joseph said God is bringing this to pass. And yeah, I know in some sense that God allows these other things to happen. And as he allows them, yeah, and it's God really directing it to happen. You know, there's this conundrum here that I don't think we can totally understand. But I think what we can understand and can come to grips with is that God brought Joseph here because God was about to bring a famine on the world that the world might come to Egypt and be saved and that potentially they might learn about the true God who gave Joseph into insight about this famine that would come but ultimately that Joseph's family would come to Egypt and as Joseph's family came to Egypt because of this famine that God was bringing God would use Egypt as a womb for the fledgling nation of Israel. That Israel over the next few hundred years would grow up and become a great nation under the protection, under the provision, under the, the shelter of Egypt. And that from there they would be born out and sent out into the world. And as they're sent out, if we remember, where do they get their riches? The Egyptians gladly gave them their money and their gold to get out of there. That God funded the nation of Israel somehow by doing all this. That this dream and this event, no wonder it bothered Pharaoh so much because it's a pivotal moment in divine history. That this dream still has implications to today. The nation of Israel exists today, in a sense, through the events that coursed through this dream, through Pharaoh's uh, mind. Because God works on a scale that we can't imagine. And just like Pharaoh, even when we get a tiny glimpse of it, we can't understand it without the Spirit of God. John 16, 12 through 13 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them, Jesus says. However, he, the, the spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but every he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. That just like the Holy Spirit comes into our life to interpret the things in our life, to interpret the word of God, the Holy Spirit doesn't make it up on its own. The Holy Spirit hears what the Father and what the Son are doing, and the Holy Spirit communicates it to us. Just like Joseph says, it's not in me, Pharaoh. It's God who has a message of peace for you, that I'm going to be this messenger of peace for you. And that's what we as believers are to do. We're not to come with our own interpretation of Scripture. Yeah, I can take this and say, well, this is sort of looks like what America is going to happen, but I can't say for sure. But what I can say for sure is by the Spirit of God. That when God speaks prayerfully through me by his scripture, that man, it's not me. I didn't do anything to earn it. But God is the one who's doing the work. He's the one who's going to minister to you the deep things of God that I could have no understanding of, that I could have no interpretation of. But as you hear the words of God, he will interpret those things to you and he will give you understanding. 
And Joseph understood that. And I think a lot of our problems as believers is by thinking we've got some key understanding of the Scripture that no one else has. And yeah, maybe God is showing you and I something that maybe you haven't heard somewhere else. But man, like I was saying before, when I listened to those messages, those little clips of messages, and it just some of them even bring me to tears and overwhelm me because I just go, man, Lord, this is you. This is you speaking. This is not of me. But Joseph says, seven plentiful years are coming. Joseph knows for a fact. Joseph hears the interpretation, or God gives him the interpretation, and he hears the dreams, and he goes right into this whole doomsday prepper spiel and plan on how to handle it. Because Joseph goes, this is God. This is what's happening. We're going to have seven years of plentiful like we've never seen before. And after those seven years, we have seven years of famine that we're not going to survive. We're not going to make it through unless we take the right precautions now while we can. Like the Bible says, today is a day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We have the opportunity now to come to God. We have the opportunity now to trust Him. And He says that all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. Joseph was forgotten. He knew something about that. But can you imagine being in America and totally forgetting how much plenty we had? Not even remembering that there used to be 800 bottles of salad dressing at the store? This kind of ranch, that kind of ranch, zesty ranch, fat-free, low-fat, high-fat, middle-fat, <laughs> very ranch, little ranch, Italian, you know, like, and just forgetting that it even existed. I think about our kids today, and, you know, I'm trying to teach them about the ways of when I was a kid before the internet and VHS and phone booths so that they might have some perspective and not get so caught up in things. But they don't remember. I saw this meme online, uh, I think it was a Japanese student, saw a save icon, right? I was like, you'd have to see it to really understand it, but they totally didn't understand what it was. It's like, why is it a vending machine with a soda in the bottom? <laughs> like, if you look at it, you go, oh my goodness, that's genius. But he, no recollection. Can you have, remember having no re recollection of what that was like? 1930s was the, the, the Great Depression. Bread lines, people lining up and saving and not having much. But they could still remember what the 20s were like. But he's saying, man, you're not even going to remember what it was like. It was only seven years. But this famine would be so severe that it will eat up everything from the plenty. There won't be savings accounts left. There won't be food in the back room of the store. And there won't be luxury for the masses. And again, as I'm getting excited about getting into Revelation soon, Revelation 6, 5-6 says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the, the li third living creature say, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it and had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. That You'd have to work a whole day to get a little quart. What, did we get pints the other day? Pints of fries? You know, imagine working a whole day for a couple pints of wheat. But verse 32 says, The dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. That There's something about this repeating again about God bringing it to pass. You know, Joseph had two dreams, the two dreams by the prisoners in prison, and these two dreams, that God established these events. And when God says it, God will do it. There you've got the double thing. Just like when uh, God made the covenant with Abraham, Abraham fell asleep and God did all the work, right? 
And I love that Joseph interprets the dream, but like we kind of alluded to, that he goes one step further. He counsels Pharaoh on what to do with the dreams. That not only is he just giving the plain interpretation, but he's giving counsel on how to live from that interpretation. And I believe it's good to seek counsel and hear it from those who have understanding on something we are involved with. We were looking at a house yesterday, and he was talking about cutting out the wall. And so I asked him a couple questions about cutting concrete, because I don't know anything about it. So I want to get some insight into it. But spiritually, that's part of the pastoral and teacher gift. That uh, This gift is one because it's meant to teach the word, but then also teach how to live from that word. And, and if a pastor or teacher has any ability in that, it's only because uh, they've learned from the Lord and the Lord has taught them. But again, I don't think that Joseph was selling himself here at the sales pitch. Like, you know, Pharaoh, you should put a guy over the whole land. And you know what? I've got the perfect guy for you. It's me. I don't think that because he was a humble guy. And although Moses might argue with Joseph that he's more humble than Joseph, that Joseph was just giving the best counsel he could. I think sometimes that's us. When you and I are asked a question at work or in life, and we say, you know what? You probably should have this, this, and this done, but we don't ever consider ourselves to be in that role. And then the person says, well, why don't you be in that role? And you go, all right, you know, there's that thing. I've heard it said around ministry that if you see the need, you should do it. You know, a pastor, can I, I think we should do this, this, and this. And the pastor goes, okay, go for it. If you see any need, sometimes God's given you that wisdom and counsel on purpose. But I love that Joseph, in a sense, also has this gift of administration that he's got this wisdom from God on how to practically handle these things. And like we spoke a few weeks ago about Christians and practicality, I think we need more of that, more of this spiritually inspired practicality in life that, man, we've got a lot. Well, in this season of a lot, perhaps we should save it up because we might not always have a lot. We see that all throughout Scripture. But Joseph says to put a wise steward over the land. I think he's basically saying you need a secretary of agriculture. Put him over the affairs of Egypt, the day-to-day affairs, because it's going to take everything we've got to do this right and survive, Joseph says. Even though we're going to have seven, seven years of plenty, if we don't handle these seven years of plenty correctly, we're going to die. And so we need to handle this correctly. And so um, he says basically 20% of everything that's made needs to go away into a savings account. Uh, you know, uh, but still under the uh, authority of Pharaoh. Joseph was trying to make it clear that Pharaoh's authority is still the authority and it's not going to be usurped. They're not going to cause this uh, panic in the land. Pharaoh is still king. Egypt is still Egypt. But we've got to do this to get through this. And so this, this secretary of agriculture needs to have people under him. They need to distribute food in every city, not to put everything in one basket, not to take all the cities and collect it in the capital, but what every city does they're supposed to save it in those cities. I believe it's one thing to pay taxes and have those funds evaporate into frivolous government programs, but I think it's another to have a, an effective program. And this program in Egypt was effective. I'm just going to read a couple things to you that I think are pertinent. It says, The latest projection has the combined Social Security trust funds that pay retirement and disability benefits running out of cash reserves by 2034. 15 years. Thank you, government, for handling our money so very well. Don't turn the government. I mean, again, I think it's great. I'm glad my parents get Social Security or my mom gets Social Security. I'm glad for those things. But it's not a sustainable system, especially when there's more older people than younger. And the average American household has 175,510 in savings as of June 2018. How do you say, they have that much? 
It says that may sound like a lot, but an average doesn't tell the whole story because an average is, you know, you got millionaires with a million dollars in the bank and you got me with $10 in the bank, the average 175,000, that's not the median. The median is the more accurate value. And it says that the median uh, American household only has 11,700 in the bank. So I'm, I'm well below the median at this point. I apologize. <laughs> But you guys are just expensive. <laughs> I like to spend money, right? Yeah. Another one says the average American now has about 38000 in personal debt. And I have links to the sources if you want to see them later. Excluding home mortgages. That's up $1,000 from a year ago, according to Northwest Mutual's 2018 study, which also said that fewer people said they carry no debt this year compared to 2017. So uh, uh, 23%. People say they carry no debt outside of a mortgage. So that's not a lot. I mean, there's one thing to have a good debt, something with equity like a home. Car debt is kind of in the middle because cars depreciate. Um, but if we look at this, we see that credit cards are 25% of all debt. Average personal debt's up to $38,000. Two in 10 Americans spend 50 to 100% of their monthly income on debt repayment. Can you imagine spending 100% of your income on debt repayment? You're not repaying your debt. You're servicing it. The borrower is under the servant, the Bible says. So when you've got seven good years of plenty, you gotta watch out for the seven bad years coming. And America, I think, is well on its way to bad years. Recessions, bailouts, and all these things, it's fake. It's fake. The reason why we bailed everybody out is because we need the economy to keep going. And so we fakely prop it up, just like with the housing balance, because it's not based on money anymore. It's based on power and relationships. And we see how intertwined we are and how those relationships are coming down and how quickly our economy is going to come down. And, um, man, let's see if we can rush through the, the last of this. I don't want to break it up here. It says, so the advice was good in verse 37, in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. He shall be over all my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring off his hand and put it in Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Verse 44, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. You imagine that having a permission to like lift your foot. You know, that anything, you know, you need a permit for everything. And a permit comes from Joseph. And Joseph was, uh, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name uh, Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So everyone's there in the king's court, and they see how good advice this was. They couldn't even interpret the dream. Yet here comes Joseph, he interprets the dream, and has really solid simple practical advice and they all they all look around and pharaoh goes in whom is the a man in whom is the spirit of god he doesn't say Ra. he says the living god pharaoh recognizes this was the spirit of god and not even their own gods could give a man this wisdom that joseph's true and living god 
is where Joseph got his wisdom. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if Pharaoh is in heaven. I wonder if he sees this, he hears this, and he goes, this is God. Yeah, they, they didn't have the whole gospel. Joseph didn't, you know, didn't preach the gospel to him here. But I have to wonder if Pharaoh didn't put his trust in God. Pharaoh recognized that the Spirit of God was in, is in Joseph, just like we see with Daniel and the Babylonian kings, Jesus and others. They say, man, is this not the Spirit of God? Pharaoh knew that God showed it to Joseph through and through. And you know what it was? A message of peace. That hard times are coming and judgment is coming, but I want to give you a way through that. I want to give you a way out of it. I want to warn you, Pharaoh. I want to warn you that this is coming. Just turn to me. Just like Jonah and Nineveh, right? Judgment is coming, Nineveh. Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes. That God would give Pharaoh and Egypt and indeed the world a way of life through this famine that was coming. You think about Noah. God told Noah before the flood was coming. When we read Revelation, we've been given Revelation before the end was coming. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge. Who better than Joseph to carry out this masterful plan that was obviously given to Joseph supernaturally? So Pharaoh gives Joseph his signet ring. We were watching the other day about sealing letters in the 1700s. That's basically what this is. This ring of Pharaoh's authority. It was his American Express black card. No limit. Buy whatever. Do whatever. Here, Joseph, here's top secret clearance. You need something done? Show them my ring and you'll get it done. You need to tell people they're not allowed to water their lawns on Wednesday? You tell them they're not allowed to water their lawns on Wednesday because we need to do everything possible to make it through the next 14 years. And Pharaoh is obviously still Pharaoh, still political, still their uh, ruler, still in charge. But Joseph, you're the day-to-day guy around here. He's not just some vice president with a title and, and brought before the cameras that he had actual power. And I think it's interesting and beautiful that Joseph's coat of many colors is now made of the finest clothes in all, all of Egypt and all the land and all the world. The authority of Joseph is now second to Pharaoh. He was the second most powerful in all the world. And doesn't Jesus sit at the right hand of the Father? And everything in all the Father's authority has been given to Jesus, has it not? That this wasn't just a formal role, that this was real authority. And I love this too. Joseph's in his chariot, his Cadillac, going down the street with the motorcade. And what do they cry? Bow the knee! And as Joseph goes down the street. You and I are getting a hot dog in Egypt. We have to bow the knee as Joseph goes by. Everyone has to pay reverence to Joseph as they would to Pharaoh. And talk about dreams coming true in someone's life. Thirteen years ago, he was dreaming. He was sold away and put in prison. And now that he's 30, he's raised up to be second in the land. And that's when Jesus started his public ministry around age 30. I think it's interesting. Pharaoh gives a name, Zaphnath Paneah. There's another name you don't hear a lot anymore. Um, and it could mean treasury, the glorious rest, that Pharaoh had this dream, but really out of this dream that was a nightmare, really became a treasury of rest. But most likely the name means God speaks and this guy lives. That Pharaoh understood that man, when the living God speaks, no man can stand in his presence. And yet Joseph's able to hear the words of the living God and lives. It's interesting that as he gives him the daughter of Potiphera, that Potiphera was a prince, but not only a priest. Um, we know that 
Elijah and some of the other priests had to stri- priests had to strike down some people at the order of the king. But it's possible, I'm not saying it is, it's possible that this person, Potiphar, is the same person as Potiphar, that this person was the same, one and the same. Now, I don't know, but that's uh, somebody's conjecture. But I think the point to take away from here is that Joseph married into royalty, that this wasn't just a job for him, that he wasn't just elevated for 14 years, and then he'd go back to normal, that Joseph was married into Egyptian dynasty, so to speak. He would never be a pharaoh, but in the sense that he's in this inner circle of pharaoh's people in Egyptian culture now. That when God blessed Joseph and God raised him up, it wasn't just a surface thing. It was a through and through thing for Joseph. And let's get to his last few verses here as we're going a little long. Uh, 47 says, Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, when Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land, ended. Excuse me. And the seven years of famine uh, began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. Verse 55, so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. I want to touch on it before I forget it, but it's interesting that when they came to Pharaoh, he said to them, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. And don't you remember, was it, wasn't it Jesus' mom says, go to Jesus and whatever he tells you to do, do at the feast, right? But each city stored up the food from that city, and I believe that's smart. When we put things into one pot, especially nationally, it tends not to get divided rightly. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried to separate my kids' Legos several times, keep them separate so that they have their own there's no arguing they can always build their sets and nothing gets lost but they always end up in one big pot and there always ends up being someone having another piece and wanting a piece and whose piece is it um and that's what happens when we have one big pot but i think it's interesting that he says to do it in each of their own own cities and i think about stewardship right that when all of us have a rental car we all share ownership of something the thing doesn't get taken care of it gets beat up. Oh, it's a, drive it like it's a rental. You know, you don't really take care of it. But when it's your own, or even if it's just your family's, don't you take care of it? I think about uh, when they have to regrade our road and we all have to pay 30 bucks or 40 bucks, whatever it was, and how we take care of it and how I don't drive like an idiot down it because at my neighbor's road, it's my road. I'm trying to take care of it, not kick up the gravel. But all the federal roads covered in, the bridges are falling apart, potholes, graffiti it's because when when we all own it nobody owns it and there's an issue and i know that it's a little more complicated than that but you know take it with a a measure of grain there but the grain was immeasurable it says as the sand of the sea that joseph stopped counting i don't know if they had the abacus they had wasn't big enough you know if you ever doing math on the calculator and like overflows and you know you're like (laughs) i have to break this down in smaller chunks but it was just too much 
So just keep storing it away. Can you imagine that much? Having so much in your bank account that you couldn't count it? I'm trying to imagine that. <laughs> I've, I'm easily able to count everything in my bank account. But it reminds me of the promise of the nation to Abraham. Because the stars of the sky and sea of the, uh, sand of the seashore that you won't be able to count it, Abraham. But two sons were born to Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim. And I love that he names his sons these things that God has ministered to him. That just like when we named our children, we, we looked to the Lord for these things, and they have this nice picture in their names. But all these burdens that were on Joseph unjustly were over. He's now lifted up by God. He's not in prison anymore. He's second in all of Egypt. doesn't necessarily heal the hurt, as we'll see later. But he remembers God and gives God credit, despite all these things that happened to him. It says that the seven years ended, and Joseph had these two sons during this time. And I'm sure these seven years went by very quickly. As when you're a kid, it takes forever, but now it's like seven years ago. I can't believe it. 2012 was seven years ago. But the famine was everywhere. But it says that Egypt had bread. Again, this wasn't ideal, but they had food. They didn't have all the plenty they had before, all the, the cattle, all the, the yummy treats, but they had wheat. They had bread. And man, that's better than nothing, especially when you're hungry. Just like the Israelites when they were in Egypt, they didn't have anything, but they had manna. And again, I believe that God saving Egypt wasn't just for Egypt. It was for all the nations. And I wonder if God blessing America wasn't just for America, but it was for all the nations. We see how the gospel's gone out from America. We see how hospitals and health care and democracy, in a sense, has gone out from America. I'm not saying that the country has always done everything right or well, but from a high perspective, I think we can see that some good has come through our nation. But now we see America devouring itself, letting all the nations plunder it, not coming by, not come and send me your huddled masses and let them come and be a part of the nation, but let them come take it and take what you want and there's no repercussions and do what you want at the expense of our own. That's not what Egypt did. Egypt didn't open up the storehouses right away. They waited until there was public outcry. They waited to make sure that people really had nothing. That way it was all eaten up, it was all taken care of, and that people would uh, be good stewards of it. Because, you know, our kids all the time say, can I have some more chips? And I'm like, well, finish your nuggets first. And then, you know what I mean? And that's the same way with us. We're like, oh, give me some more. I know you got a whole bunch in there. Well, use up what you have, be a good steward of what you have, and then we'll begin to give you more. And even when there was public outcry, it wasn't handouts. They sold it. If you're really hungry, and it's really important to you, you're going to sell your couch. You're going to sell your shoes. You're going to sell the things that you don't need to buy what you do need. And I think that that brought in a great accountability. Because if they didn't, they might have gone through that seven years of immeasurable wheat in three years. Or even six. Even six and a half. You still got six months and you're all going to die. you got to take this correctly to get through. And again, I don't think that we can ever understand the depth of this famine that they went through. Uh, at least in America, maybe you can kind of picture pictures you've seen from other parts of the world. But I don't know if we know what it's going to be like. And I think that we take our blessing for granted. And I don't know that God wants us to. But it says that everyone came to Joseph to buy grain. That everyone in the whole world came to Joseph bowing down to him for grain. As then when we come to Jesus, we come and we bow and he gives us food and drink and takes care of our needs. 
But Joseph's dreams weren't totally fulfilled yet. His family still wasn't a part of this fulfillment, and that we'll see to come. But again, God spoke peace to them. That despite all of this, God wanted to reach these people. God wanted to save these people. Uh, and he had a bigger plan for each and every one of them. And God, we thank you for the dreams you have for us. Thank you, God, that we can come to you and that, God, you'll meet all our needs. God, we pray for those who are hungry today, who are in a famine physically, that you'd meet their needs. Help us to support those ministries that go out. Lord, if there's people in our community that are hungry, Lord, bring them here that we might give them those uh, food cards or help them in any way we can. And, uh, God, we pray for uh, just a spiritual famine, Lord, that your word would go out and people would come and bow the knee to you and receive all that they need. In Jesus' name, amen.